0: You know it's going to be good when, uh, when you get up for the preaching and I'm already exhausted you know for for about three or four years now um about, well, about three or four years ago the, the spirit began to just really break me in his presence and and I will just I, I, honestly it's something I wish wouldn't happen I just weep in the presence of God when we prayed before the service, I just started crying and my wife just gets so over it. Every time we go to church, you go, really? Like, first song, we're straight into it, and they just start weeping. And, you know, when we were praying today uh, before the service, Pastor Dean said, Lord, send the fire. And I I don't know if you can see the tongue of flame on me yet or not. We've still got the word to come, so it's coming. But, you know, the last verse in the book of John says these are all the things that Jesus Christ did when he walked on this earth. And there were many more. And I do not believe that if every one of them were written down, the world in its entirety could hold enough books. That's the God that we serve. It's a God who we could not recount all he did and all he is still doing. You know, when I first came to New Zealand, I I started going to a church and joined the worship team. And there was a a worship team get-together one night. And I asked one of the senior leaders, I said, what happens when we're trying to lead worship? And we're just really not feeling it, you know. We, we've come in with a broken heart. We've come in with a burden, and we don't feel like jumping up and down on stage. And he said, "You know what? Well, sometimes you just fake it till you make it." And I thought that was a really bad response. And I really, I, I don't want anyone to come in here today, faking it till you making. Come and bring your burdens. Bring your broken hearts. You know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to start preaching already. Uh, Over the past month, the Lord is just doing something in my heart. I'm just so hungry for the things of God. And I've just been standing in so much faith for what the Lord wants to do here today. And, And we've already come into his presence. We've declared you do great things. Great is the Lord. We speak Jesus. And so we're starting to move in the things of God now. And we're going to declare the word of God. We're not, we're not gathered here today to consider the opinions of man. We are speaking out the divine word of God. And it has the power to transform our lives more than any other thing. So as we get into this, I am believing that today we're going to see restoration, we're going to see deliverance, and we're going to see healing. And I want you to stand in faith with me as we consider the Word. If you are seeking a bit more of God in your life, would you join your faith with me? Because I believe by the end we're going to see tongues of fire. I believe that the Spirit is only just starting to move in this place today. You know, the book of Ephesians is called the Queen of the Epistles, which is quite the claim, really, when you think about the rigorous theological depth that is the book of Romans or the refreshing call to joy that is Philippians. But when I read Ephesians 2 specifically, especially the first 10 verses, I'm tempted to agree that this is perhaps the pinnacle of biblical beauty. There's also a very personal reason I love this passage so much. As many of you know, my wife Grace and I worked as Parliament, uh, advisors in Parliament for a number of years. That's where we met. And our offices were several doors apart from each other. So we saw a lot of one another. Over almost a year, a very close friendship began to emerge as Grace, Grace and I began to share about our common faiths and discuss a lot what was happening in our lives. And one week, I went in to have a chat and it didn't really seem like she was her regular self. She was dealing with some significant changes in her life. And that meant the usually bubbly, pleasant friend I'd come to know was almost impossible to be around. I went in at morning tea on a Monday to chat and she told me in very uh, clear terms that today was not the day and to move away. I, uh, I went in at lunch again, the slightly persistent person that I am, and she told me, look, not today, move on. But I'm not someone who takes no for an answer easily. And so I I just sat down on the couch and I said, maybe we should read the Bible together. Would you like me to read the Bible to you? And without waiting for a response, I opened to the book of Ephesians. And I started reading. And of course, Ephesians 1, we've been there. It starts by blessing God and the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are blessed with all heavenly blessings. It outlines adoption and lavished grace and talks of the hope we have the glorious inheritance of the saints and their miserable power at work for those of us who believe. We remember this, right? This is what we've been reading about over the weeks in between our series. Grace and I sat, sorry, Grace sat there silently, accepting I think that this was just Johnny being Johnny and there was very little to be done. And as I read through scripture, I kind of provided a commentary as we went, sort of preaching on the beautiful truths that scripture was revealing. Now like I said, I didn't get much out of grace until we had Ephesians 2, when we read this: "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the power sorry, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Who's glad they came to church this morning? Oh, this this is good stuff. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I could tell at this point I had Grace's attention. And she later said that when I sat down and read the book of Ephesians with her, it was the first time she really felt like she heard God speaking specifically to her. And we continued to read through the book, stopping to reflect on the truths, and by the end... Grace's day hadn't changed. Grace's life was on a totally different trajectory because we had reflected on the glory of God's mercy shown to us in his grace. These short 10 verses outlined in my mind so succinctly the essence of the gospel. The Bible, of course, was not first drafted with chapters and verses included the book of ephesians is just one letter from paul and ephesians 2 starts with the word and it's just flowing on from where we left off at the end of chapter 1 if we just want to go back to that previous slide remember he is offering praise to the god to god for the adoption we know in christ his lavish grace And his blessing on us and the fruit in our lives because of this. Love for the saints, wisdom and insight, hope, inheritance and power. And Paul concludes what is now the end of the first chapter with this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Us reflecting on the fullness of God, him who fills all in all, flows seamlessly into how it is that we have then come to know the salvation. For we were dead in our sins. You know, I think this is actually, ironically, perhaps a vital point to emphasize because we quite often forget that. I think our times... At times our salvation is presented in such a way that it's like we were drowning. We were about to die. We were on the bottom of the ocean floor gasping for life. And Christ reached his hand in to save us. But my friends, we were not drowning. We were not gasping for life. We were dead on the ocean floor. He sought out us. He sought us out. He Came for us, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were by very nature children of wrath. But God, but God, every person who has been resurrected by the power of Christ has been seared and sealed with an immovable but God. Across their life. That is how we come here today. It is by virtue of God's grace, because of who He is, simply because of the character of God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even we were, when we were dead in our trespasses. By grace we have been saved. Oh, it's pretty quiet here this morning. See, I expected a hallelujah to rise up from that. This is this is good news. Paul is flowing on from chapter one and all that we know in Christ. But he's saying here the inheritance and the glorious riches and the lavished love. It's not because you deserve it, it's not because you've earned it. It's not because of anything to do with you. It is everything to do with him and his great love with which he loved us. Why? See, so many Christians in the church today, I think, jump over the first four verses of Ephesians chapter two. They just get to, you've been saved by grace. Great, that's nice, isn't it? Why? Unless we remember that we were dead in our sins, and we ask what it's for, we will never know the purposes that God has for us. It's so that in the coming ages, he might sh- we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. It's for his glory. It's so that he might redeem unto himself a people of praise who will exult in the immeasurable riches of grace that we know. Grace that says, but God. And that is why we cannot boast. We cannot claim anything but the grace of God, which has resurrected us. Paul makes similar comments in 1 Corinthians 1:26 and 31. He writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know, I think our gospel message has far too often turned into a self-help message. And you know what? There are incredible riches on offer for us in Christ. But if you will come to Christ, you come humbly. Because if you'll be claimed by him, it is to say I am the weak, I am the broken, I am the foolish things of this world so that Christ might receive glory. If we are to boast, let us boast in the Lord. That is why we have been saved, so that we might boast in Christ. We are now witnesses to him to the ends of the earth. And the world looks at us and goes, you, God saved you, but you don't deserve that. And we go, no, but God. And we boast in his character. And his goodness. The whole essence of scripture is the great narration of the story of Christ redeeming under himself man. If we don't understand the role that the Jews play in illustrating this great story, we won't understand the part we're called to play. God says to Moses, I have chosen you because you are few in number. You are weak and poor. And that is still true for the people of God today. It is when we believe that Christ's grace is extended towards us for our sake that we end up with narcissistic Christianity, which in its worst form sees Christ as little more than a genie in a bottle. It is when we believe that Christ's grace is extended towards him for his praise, it is only then that we will experience the depth of the purpose and peace and joy that is intended for us in knowing Christ. The salvation you know does not end with you. You are not the ultimate purpose of Christ's salvation. You have been saved in order to bring praise to the glorious name of Christ and to do good works which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. You have not been given the Spirit of God to enjoy peace because that is it in itself. You have been called to enjoy peace, to raise the name of Christ in a world that has no peace. You have been called to stand and lift a banner of praise and joy in a world that is hopeless. And Christians have taken their light and hid it under a bushel. God has planned good works for each one of us, not generally, Not, if you see someone on the sidewalk begging, give to them. Not vague, ambiguous, specifically. Good works that he has planned for you in particular, before time began. Therefore, if we want to boast in Christ, if we want to bring glory to him for our salvation, then we must know the voice of the Spirit of God in our life and seek out the particular good works which have been prepared for us beforehand. See, the light of so many Christians shines very dimly because they are doing vague, unspecific things from a place of grace that is for them. Those that burn with fire for the glory of God sit intimately before the Spirit and say, Spirit of God, what is it today that you are calling for me? Because I I don't want to do anything but glorify you today. Don't, don't, don't call me anywhere unless it's glorifying you. Don't tell me to do anything unless it's raising your name up. Spirit of God, what is it today that will raise your name high in my life? This is the hunger that the Lord wants to produce in our hearts. And we're satiating that hunger with so many other things. You know, for many of you here, it's not sins. It's not worldliness. It's just trivial. I look at so many Christians who walk around ignoring this and I'm like, it's not even that your selfishness or the idol that is your career or your self-pity or your addiction, it's not even that it's sin. It's just so meaningless. It's so empty, so worthless in comparison to all that is on offer for you in Christ. All that has been specifically, specially prepared for you to define the essence of your life. Hey, if you want to be consumed by the trivialities of life, focused on fleeting, oh so fleeting things, have fun. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you won't get into heaven. I'm just going to be over here though, attaining the highest that God has for me. I'm gonna be over here pursuing God in this life that he's given me. I wanna have a crown one day to lay before my God. God forgive us that many Christians will make it into heaven. Congratulations, you won't have anything to offer him though. I wanna offer my life so that one day I have a crown to lay before him. And I know that this is something that burns deep within many of your hearts here the jewels that we will give to the Lord one day. But unfortunately, many of us also have straw and hay that will be consumed by a fire. You know, I believe we could easily do a series just on Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. So great are the truths for us to claim in this passage. But we must press on to the second portion of this chapter. This is where Paul comes back to his main point of the book of Ephesians. And what is the main point of the book of Ephesians? We've only been here once, so I don't expect you to know it yet, but we'll be doing a test at the end. Uh, Paul is calling us to live as the family of God. This passage we're going to is a very powerful portion. Many theologians look at it. It's called the One New Humanity. We're called to live as the family of God, drawn together by the Spirit of God. Paul seeks to now apply the riches of the first half of this chapter to the theme of this book. And he writes, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated excuse me ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers And aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also have been built together into a dwelling place by God, for God by the Spirit. This passage starts off with a command. Verse 11 says, remember. Again, far too often we forget that we Gentiles, we were separated, we were far off. The gospel means so little to so many because we often forget from where we have come. And this is not a unique condition. The Israelites regularly suffered with this themselves, not several weeks into having been delivered from slavery they had forgotten the condition they knew. And when we do not remember where we've come from, when we do not remember the brokenness and the need, we do not really appreciate the joy we are given in Christ. You know, I don't think Mary of Magdalene, when she fell at the feet of Jesus, offering all she was to him, had forgotten where she had come from. And we don't don't stay there. We don't hold on to that. But we say, That's where God has brought me from. In 2007, when I was 12 years old, my parents and my twin brother and I came back to New Zealand for several months, traveling away from Mozambique uh, to reconnect with the churches and family here. My sister joined us in New Zealand from Kenya where she was attending boarding school at the time. One morning, shortly before my sister was about to return to Kenya for another term at high school, I woke to these pictures. Kenya had broken into post-election disorder as the losing candidate refused to recognise the other party's victory. Violence broke out across the country as two of the tribes in Kenya, the Kikuyu and the Luo, each backed the other tribe's candidate. My sister couldn't return to Kenya for a number of weeks as the situation escalated. And when all was said and done, as many as 1,500 people had been killed and over half a million displaced. When I left Kenya in 2013, there were still thousands of people living in tents near the school that I attended who couldn't return to their land from this event. The post-election violence of 2007 in Kenya is just one of tragically many examples of tribalism and division, which plague my home, the African continent. But let us be under no false illusion. Division of this kind is not limited to Africa. In one form or another, racism, tribalism, classism, vaccination status, humanity has always found reason to turn in on itself, to turn against itself. As we break into our own little groups, from Ireland to Iraq, from East Timor to the Bronx, violence, division, enmity, These are our birthright. These are what we have been given from our forefathers, Cain and Abel, who turned in on each other. Division and enmity of this kind stands in direct and complete defiance of any teaching related to the family of God, to a new humanity. Thinking of this kind refutes the claim that we saw in chapters 1 verse 10 that Christ is uniting all things in himself. Paul here points to an incredibly prominent, relevant division in the minds of early church believers in this passage. Like many of us here today, the church in Ephesus was mostly Gentile, non-Jews. That was only significant if we understand that the Jews were the chosen people of God. They, They are elected by God to be a light to the nations and to symbolize the special relationship that they, even today, still have with God. They were given circumcision, very intimate, obvious, deliberate, distinguishing mark. In this way, the people of Israel were unlike any other nation. They had been chosen by God. And it was to these people that God gave the law, his presence, the promises of his favor and protection. And so by very nature of not being Jews, Gentiles are, as Paul says, alienated from all that God promised to these people. You can imagine that this might play in your head a little bit if you are part of a first century church. Maybe as a Jew, you feel quite protective of your position as an individual who is part of the people of God. Or as a Gentile, you wonder whether this Jewish Messiah has anything to offer you, is of any relevance to you. At all. This is exactly who Paul is speaking to, to the person who wonders, what does the talk of a Messiah have to do with me? Paul says, you who were far off, you who were separated, you who were condemned and without hope, this Jewish Messiah, he has brought you near. For he himself is our peace. Peace. Shalom. You've heard me speak about that term before. The fullness of the way things ought to be in harmony together. Paul says that instead of the physical circumcision that marks us as the people of God, Christ himself has broken down the barriers which separate us by his flesh. And through offering himself, he has made one new humanity. He has spilt the blood that was required of the people of God. A family of God speaking death to hostility. Instead of physical marking born by the people of God now, to mark them, we are marked by changed hearts, reborn lives, and conduct that is full of the presence and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the new circumcision that shows us to be the children of God, shows us to be a family. And Christ now is our peace. This peace is for those who were far off, for those who were separated and for those who were near. This is another cry of the heart from Paul, which comes through Ephesians. So you are no longer strangers, aliens. You are not separated. There's a household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place by God, or for God by the Spirit. You know, I believe radically in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of God that has been given to us, that Paraclete. I hope you. I'm think, I need to check my preaching schedule. I'm really hoping I'm not preaching next week because I want to come here from Williams. The Spirit of God has been deposited in each one of our lives, and some of us that manifests radically. For some of us, we don't want that quite uncomfortable, so we have it a little bit less in our lives. But we have all been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But you see, the people of God are not called to stand as individuals. We're called to stand together. So we are now in Him, being built together into one dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Spirit of God inhabits our hearts, but it's when we come together that the Spirit of God then dwells singularly as we stand as one. It is easy for us to sit here and and allow the implications of this passage to just pass us by. It is a remarkable thing. You've heard me say before that we can easily come and go from church week in, week out for years. For a lifetime perhaps. And never allow the radical revolutionary, revolutionary truth of this passage to touch us. Not only has God created a family out of fallen man. There is a place for each one of us at the table. Paul tells us that the household of God has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We must incline our ear to understand the story that has been written on every page of scripture in order to understand how the family of God can be founded on the apostles and prophets. So let me say this clearly. If you are not reading the word of God, if you are not filling your heart with truths which have been given to us, first of all by the prophets and then by the apostles, we will never understand the implications of the family of God in our lives. But if we do, what a story it is, as we consider from Genesis the whole way through, a narrative of redemption that Christ is calling us into. As our lives are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, on the cornerstone, which is Christ, unity flourishes. And together as one, we grow into a holy temple for the Lord. That's why this is so important. You see, it is when we are joined together that Christ himself comes and dwells in our midst. Far too many communities have not been built together into a temple. It's a half-finished building. Christ's not going to come and dwell in that. It's when we stand in unity, when we allow our calling as the people of God to bind us together, our boast in the Lord, not in ourselves, that is when we'll be filled in the presence of the Spirit. The Apostle Peter uses a very similar picture to express a similar message in 1 Peter 2. He writes, and you come to him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. You know, I... I work in the business community. I work in the political community. And there's a whole lot of people who claim to have the answer to the many questions we're addressing today. But that's one of my favorite verses, and it's repeated several places in Scripture. That they who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. Because I believe there is one answer to the questions we are asking. And it is the people of God being anointed by His Spirit to stand and say, about God. It's not my design. I would not have chosen you. Mm -mm. Took a lot of faith on God's part. Weak, foolish, broken things of this world. But God. See, I'm I'm part of that. No high horse here. I have to claim a but God in my life. But then I go out into the business community. I go out into the political world. And there's a hope that drives me. There's a hope that rests within me because I believe that the church anointed by Christ has been called to be the answer in our communities. I believe that the spirit of God is stirring in this nation to draw us into unity that defies what the rest of our nation is experiencing. Because we will boast in the Lord. I will not be put to shame, not when my hope is in Christ. Verse eight continues and says, this is a a stone of stumbling A rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have been joined together, not from one race or people, but together we have been made into a new race, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a nation set apart unto God so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, who reached to the bottom of the ocean floor, whose grace has changed us. This takes us right back to where chapter two of Ephesians begins, the glorious grace of God. Let let us find ourselves always brought back to the grace of God and always undone by its beauty. For through it, for the praise of Christ, we are resurrected. We are redeemed. We're joined together and given life forevermore. Psalm 133, verses 1 and 3, a very well-known passage. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded a blessing. And what is that blessing? It's life. You know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the uh, uh, Gospel of John. I just think it's endlessly revealing. And he tells us that this light that Christ is, is is the life of man. This light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We live in a life that has been given to us by the light of Christ that the darkness cannot overcome. So why do we diminish it? The darkness can't undo it, but we can. We can choose to hide our light. We can choose to allow division to come into our communities. We can choose to not walk with him who is our peace. It's incredible power that we have. But if we choose to walk in Christ to pursue him, to allow the spirit of God to change us. The darkness will not overcome it. You will not be put to shame. I wonder if the worship team would just join me. Can we go back to greater you, Lord? I think that's a great way for us to respond. And for the rest of you in both rooms, would you stand as we come to the end of this message? We're not done with today yet. I think there's a response in our hearts that we should raise to God. But in both rooms, would you stand now? I want to speak out this blessing over you. I speak in the authority of Christ, not by any value in my life, not by anything I have done, but because grace has touched me. And so I have the authority to speak on behalf of God now. And I pray over each one of you here, that you would know the grace of God, grace through which we are saved by faith, that the triumphant declaration of but God would resound from your life. I pray that you would know the good works prepared beforehand, that you would attend to the work of God in your life and see his kingdom come through the Spirit's faithfulness in your life. I pray that you would know the peace of God, of a God who is himself our peace and the great joy of being brought near by the means of the cross. I pray that together the unity of Christ would bind us as one, one to another, that we would be joined and dwelt by God himself and filled with the Spirit. Let the blessing of God be in this place, for there is unity. Let the love of Christ rest in this place, for we are family. Let the power of God move in this place, for his kingdom is coming. Let all that we think and do be pleasing to a God whose grace has changed us. You know, I started off by saying we're not considering the opinions of man today. This is a divine word appointed for this moment. And I believe faith is stirring in many of your hearts faith that has not been without works for many years, faith that you've been building. Let's cry out for a greater portion of God for that. That we would be the salt and light we're called to be in our communities in this incredibly challenged time. What a time to be alive. What a time to be ministering the peace of God. Thank you, Lord, for all that is happening in this world. As we raise up a standard and say, Christ is the answer to all these questions you're finally answering. But you know there are people here as well that are still held in chains that are still walking in brokenness and disease. And I have faith today that there there is grace, there is the power of God, there is a spirit of healing and restoration here. And so in both rooms, if you need someone to come and join your faith with, come and stand with a brother. Let's stand together and let the spirit of God indwell us. Let the unity of God move in power here. Let's not walk away the same.